Green Street Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at Grassroots E-N-V-E-D. Welcome to Green Street, a project of Grassroots Environmental Education. I'm your host, Patty Wood, here with my co-host, Doug. Everyone knows that radiation causes cancer, and recent events in Japan have shown that even with safeguards, nuclear energy plants are never completely safe. Last May, German Chancellor Angela Merkel announced that Germany would halt construction of new nuclear power reactors and would completely phase out all nuclear power in Germany by 2022. Yet here in the United States, the nuclear industry and their elected cheerleaders, including our president, are still working hard to convince Americans that nuclear energy is one of the answers to our energy needs. They want people to believe that nuclear energy is really green energy. Nothing could be further from the truth. On this edition of Green Street, we welcome Carl Grossman, professor of journalism at the State University of New York College at Old Westbury, and an award-winning television host and producer, journalist, and author. He has written extensively about the nuclear industry, including a half dozen books and numerous articles for publications ranging from the New York Times and Boston Globe to the Progressive and Liberal Opinion Week. Here's our interview with Carl Grossman. Way back uh, in the 1970s, I was an investigative reporter for the daily Long Island Press. And at that time, Long Island was being eyed in the parlance of the Atomic Energy Commission, uh, the nuclear establishment, as a nuclear park. Seven to 11 nuclear plants were to be built on Long Island, uh, basically because it's actually a New York story. Con Ed wanted to build a nuclear plant in Ravenswood in Queens, right across the East River from Manhattan, and there was uh, some early anti-nukers in the city opposed it, and uh, Con Ed finally, after a bill was introduced into the city council precluding any nuclear plants from being built within the boundaries of New York City. Con Ed said, forget about it. And the Long Island Lighting Company then jumped in with the assistance of Brookhaven National Laboratory, which was set up in 1947 on Long Island to develop civilian uses of nuclear technology and also to atomic research with this plan for uh, a massive nuclear development on Long Island to provide nuclear-generated electricity to New York City. In fact, the whole Boston to Washington megalopolis. Wow, and that and that uh, that that first attempt on Long Island was the Shoreham plant. Yeah, it was always in all the uh, the legal papers. Shoreham Nuclear Power Station one, two more were to be built at Shoreham, four were to be built at Jamesport, which is about thirty miles east wow. on Long Island Sound and several others in between. Uh, it, it was uh, it, it's actually not unlike Fukushima, because what you have at Fukushima is a cluster of six, a kind of a, a nuclear park uh, in Japan. And that was the deal. Obviously, nukes need a lot of water, a million gallons a minute to keep them cool. Wow. So you have to build them. I mean, you can build them on rivers with cooling towers, but <laughs> the rivers will end up running hot if you have enough nukes on a river. So uh, what the uh, the nuclear establishment, it's more than just the nuclear industry. It's the government agencies involved with nuclear, the Atomic Energy Commission years ago, now the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the Department of Energy, uh, and the nuclear industry work together. 
and um, uh, the placement of nuclear plants along waterways is uh, really uh, made mandatory by the enormous amounts of coolant they need. Okay, so let's just backtrack for one second. So you're you're telling me that um, all of these proposed um, nuclear power plants uh, that were going to um, were were going to be built within the city limits um, by Con Ed. No, or just, just this one. one exactly this right. one, and the and the cluster of plants that was going to be built on Long Island um, in Shoreham, which is on the North Shore on Long Island Sound, and in Jamesport. When you said Jamesport, I I swallowed both, hard. Yeah, we both because gasped. You were both gasped because our daughter has an organic farm in Jamesport. Yeah, well, it's, it, I, again, it, because of the defeat of Ravenswood 1. It, by Con Ed, well, yeah, well, the one that Con Ed by, wanted to build. By the anti-nuclear people. Yeah. The, the late Jeff Newman, maybe some listeners from BAI know Jeff Newman. He's passed now, but he, he was a leader in that fight. In any case, when Con Ed realized the, the gig was up, forget it. Then Loco joined into uh, uh, joined into the uh, to the picture and uh, uh, pushed ahead this this plan for a large number. I, I wrote a book about this. It's it's still around. It's called Power Crazy, called Power Crazy because it was indeed nuclear power crazy. Right now, and and so that they, they were both defeated basically by um, you know activists who were or anti nuke activists. Well, Shoreham actually started construction, right? Because I remember. Oh, absolutely. Shoreham was completed. But that's right. what I thought. But never. Yeah, Shoreham was completed. Went through low power testing, and what was supposed to be, I mean, in power crazy. In fact, I reprint as a facsimile. This is no discussion about. Some people say the original cost projection was 200 and some odd million. Actually, it was 65 to 75 million range, says the press release. You look at the actual press release in the book. Ended up costing a bit more, 6.5 to 7.5 billion dollars. And uh, it was ready to go. It was stopped by a combination of citizen action in various forms, civil disobedience and uh, all kinds of direct action and uh, uh, litigation. I mean, it was a variety of things. But in fact, with Shoreham, a, a key factor here was you can't, it's very difficult to stop a nuclear plant on the federal level. I mean, uh, Shoreham was held back for years by Long Islanders and Long Island governments using the evacuation issue. Mm-hmm. That you couldn't evacuate Long Island in the event of a catastrophic accident at Shoreham. Uh, but towards the end, that wasn't working anymore because Lilco organized a Lilco Emergency Response Organization, a, a private police force, which would implement evacuation. So the requirement, which was imposed after the Three Mile Island accident in '79 by the NRC, that you a utility needed a, an evacuation plan to operate a nuclear plant, which would be implemented by local government or uh, uh, state government, uh, what occurred was that Luco kind of got around that and got an executive order out of the White House saying that our own um, private police force will do the evacuation. Pretty nutty, but they did yeah, that's, that. That's going to work. Yeah, really. Oh, wow. I mean, none of it. I mean, look, look at the Long Island Expressway. Look at it tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, With no disaster, at, it's a parking lot. At, at 8 in the morning. Sure. In the Imagine if there'd be a, nu- a nuclear disaster. But uh, the, Let me just the ask key you. figure here, the, the key element here, very important, frankly, 
because everybody screams and yell about, yells about the Long Island Power Authority, which they should because it's, uh, to a degree, a bumbling bureaucracy. Uh, but still, it was the key to stopping Shoreham. See, it's so hard to stop a nuclear plant on a federal level. The Atomic Energy Commission and its successor agency, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, never denied a construction or operating license anywhere, anytime for a nuclear plant. And it wasn't going to do that with Shoreham, no matter what. Um, and, uh, well, I, I quote the energy secretary at the time, Harrington, as saying, as Shoreham goes, so goes the nuclear industry. I mean, mm. they felt that this nuclear plant, the first, again, of many on Long Island, was uh, really a bellwether for the nuclear industry. So it was a lot at stake. And what really killed Shoreham was you couldn't use federal might. Federal, the NRC wasn't going to stop it. But you could use state power. State still holds the power of eminent domain. It can take some land for a park or to widen a road and so forth. And what was put in the state legislature, put into the state legislature, was a bill to create the Long Island Power Authority with the power to eliminate LUCO as, as, as a corporation if it persisted in its nuclear scheme. And that's Very what, interesting. And, and that's what did it. Uh, I mean, way at the end, there was still, well, at the end, William Catta Casinos, who had been assistant director at Brookhaven National Laboratory, incidentally, for years, uh, he finally had to let go. I mean, as much as he loved, as a former Brookhaven lab uh, nuclear person, nuclear power, he realized that that would be the end of local. So it took state power. That's why it's so exciting now to see Governor Cuomo. Uh, his father was very deeply involved in the Shoreham thing. He wouldn't uh, go for a state evacuation plan. He supported uh, Suffolk County, uh, his uh, uh, chief aide on all this, Fabian Palomino, was marvelous. I mean, uh, but in any case, the Sun now is uh, speaking out and hopefully will stop this crazy idea to relicense the Indian point plants. And yep. what's that, what that is about is, I mean, all this stuff is so crazy. Uh, nuclear plants were never seen as operating more than 40 years because after that point, uh, the metals get so embrittled. I mean, you really have a problem. 40 years would be the, the limit. limit. And what uh, what the push is now by uh, uh, this company, uh, Entergy, is to extend the license of Indian Point 2 and Indian Point 3. One was closed down years ago, never even had an emergency cool cooling system. It couldn't be uh, remade uh, in any – I mean, it was just – they closed that down. But 2 and 3 have been operating, both pressurized water reactors, Westinghouse products, uh, to extend the licenses – uh, for both the 60 years. In fact, what the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is speaking about right now is not just to do 60 years. They've now relicensed over half the 104 nuclear plants in the U.S. Uh, for 60 years of, of, of operating. I mean, they're just asking for disaster. Yeah. And also what they're doing with the relicensing for the 60 years is uprating them, having them function hotter and harder, uh, generating more electricity and just like, you know, going faster and uh, uh, creating even more stress. In any case, the NRC is talking about relicensing the reactors for 80 years. I know. I, I actually did see an article about that. I thought that that was just kind of an outrage. Um, well, six, but, six, 60 is close in terms of it. I'd imagine if you could, uh, you know, jump into a car tomorrow and it was, uh, you know, uh, 
Already had 300,000 miles on it. And it was 60 years old. And, <laughs> yeah. and then when you deal with nuclear power, yeah. you know, when there's yeah. a, a breakdown. You're asking it, asking for trouble. Well, you, and it's not just trouble. Uh, there was a very important report called Calculation Reactor Accident Consequences 2, called Crack 2. After the show, folks should Google Crack 2 and see what the Nuclear Regulatory Commission did back in the 80s. I don't think they'll ever do anything like this again, uh, considering how folks like me and others involved in looking into the, the reality of nuclear power have made use of this report. They look at every nuke in the country, and they estimate how many people would be killed, how many people would be left with cancer, and the property damage in the event of, uh, like Fukushima, a, a big chunk of the planet being rendered uninhabitable for millennia, or like around Chernobyl. And for the Indian Point 2 and 3 plants, I mean, they're talking about near 100,000 dead from both of them. And in terms of property damage, in 1980 dollars, for each of them, about $300 billion. That's with a B, $1980. You're talking in the event of a, a meltdown with a breach of containment at Indian Point 2 and or 3, a trillion dollars worth of damage. And if folks are unfamiliar with this issue, one of the little things that the nuclear establishment within government did well, way back in the 50s was to pass the Price-Anderson Act, that limits liability in the event of a nuclear plant disaster. The utilities didn't want to get into this. They were scared because of the exposure if there would be a, a catastrophe. So we passed a law, the Congress did, then and now in the pocket of the nuclear industry, that limited liability in the event of a nuclear disaster at $560 million, and the government would pay the first $500 million, and then the utility will have to pay maybe $60 million. But that would be it. Nobody could sue Beyond that, and in fact, after the program again, go look if you have a, a renter insurance or homeowner's insurance. In all these policies in the U.S., because of Price-Anderson, there's a radiation clause which says this policy does not cover loss or damage caused by radiation. This and it doesn't say by radiation due to a, to a, a nuclear power. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, Just uh, radiation. That's yeah. all they say. Yeah, but it's, it's, look at your policy. It's, it's the radiation clause, and it's uh, – wow. And if you try to, like, you think you can do an end run and you go to your insurance carrier and ask them for a, a special rider to cover, like, you're concerned about Oyster Creek, for example, which is 60 miles south of New York City, and it's a GE boiling water reactor, just, just like at Fukushima or Salem or Indian Point, which is just, like, about 30 miles north of, of, of Manhattan. Uh, if you're concerned you want a rider in your policy, you can't get it. The, the limit now, it, it's been increased through the years. It's now $14 billion is the liability limit. But as I say, Crack 2 is talking about, and you can see what's happening with the, the tens of billions and probably way beyond that right. of damage in Fukushima. Right. Uh, the $14 billion is not going to uh, go very far. And, and that, that's the limit. I mean, you, you, you can slip on the sidewalk and you could sue somebody. You can... Right. You know, but when it comes yeah. to nuclear, I mean, if it's so safe, why can't it be insured? We're we're speaking with Carl Grossman, who's a professor of journalism at the State University of New York College at Old Westbury, and an award-winning television host and producer, journalist, and author. Um, he has written extensively about the nuclear industry, and we are speaking with him tonight about um, the nuclear industry and. Um, uh, 
exactly what has happened around the New York metropolitan area as far as uh, as far as the um, the use of uh, of nuclear of nuclear power. So let's let's just go back to that Indian Point plant because you're saying now that Governor Cuomo has taken a stance against this plant and wants to shut it down. Sounds like it probably should be shut down from what you're talking about. But you were talking about the um, the idea of, of, of evacuation plans. What can you tell us about the evacuation plans um, for the Indian Point plant, and what are the problems that you see there? The problems? In fact, there was a there once was a very honest man who was an inspector, the resident inspector at Indian Point for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission called Robert Pollard. And decades ago, he described Indian Point, Bob Pollard did, as an accident waiting to happen. And it's beyond an accident. I mean, we're talking, when you talk nuclear, enormous catastrophe. Indeed, there's another book I did on nuclear is called Cover Up, What You Are Not Supposed to Know About Nuclear Power. That was my first book, and I did that in, uh, uh, in 1980, right after the uh, Three Mile Island accident. And how I uh, did that book, because of such the, uh, all the baloney from the nuclear establishment, was to, uh, again, use facsimiles like I did in part in paracrisis. You use the actual documents, reprinted them. And there was a report done actually at Brookhaven National Laboratory in the 60s describing the scale of a nuclear plant accident. And it says, in fact, over and over again in this report, uh, Y740 update, uh, there is the line that a big accident could destroy an area the size of the state of Pennsylvania. And that's before uh, the Three Mile Island uh, accident almost did that a number of years later. Uh, so when you're talking about the scale of destruction from a, a nuclear plant, well, we've been living in the last uh, several months through the, the Fukushima disaster, and despite what I would as a journalism professor describe as an incredible cover-up, uh, that is occurring not just in Japan, but in this country in regards to the uh, the fallout of uh, the Fukushima poisons all over the uh, all over the world, not just Japan. I mean, people have an understanding of uh, the scale of, of that disaster. It's why Germany and Italy, Switzerland have said in recent months, forget it with nuclear power. We can go to safe, clean, renewable energy technologies. Back to Indian Point. Indian Point is... Again, there's been so many uh, near misses and uh, ostensibly minor accidents. If there would be a major one, and if that, those plants are relicensed, you can count on it. You could count on it. Uh, in terms of evacuation, I mean, it, it, well, I should also note before I go on, it is also like the Fukushima Daiichi plants on an earthquake fault. It's on the Ramapo fault. Uh, in terms of evacuation, again, talk about scale, an area the size of the state of Pennsylvania. Again, what's in Bar 740 update? It's bifurcated by the Hudson River. People will be, uh, oh, if, if, if the wind is blowing from the east and it's blowing towards the west, the folks to the west of the Hudson River, I mean, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to have to try to... Run away. To drive faster than the, the wind blowing the... Uh, uh, Radiation. The nuclear plume. I mean, right. uh, Long Island was... Uh, I hear you have an island with millions of people and just a few tunnels and some bridges 
connecting us to, well, Manhattan and the Bronx. I mean, that was a no-brainer in terms of the impossibility of evacuation. But indeed, um, in any of these situations, uh, well, also I, I should note that for Indian Point, what the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has said is it's just 10 miles around the plant that we have to be concerned about evacuation. That's where they put up the sirens and, you know, they have this network of school buses that somehow are going to go running around and picking up children. Kids. But after Fukushima, the U.S. advised all its, all, all its citizens within 50 miles, within 50 miles of Fukushima to get out, to evacuate. Now, you look at 50 miles from, uh, from Indian Point. That's all of Manhattan. That's Brooklyn. That's Queens. That's a good chunk of of Connecticut. That's that's into Nassau County. That, I mean, it's into into Jersey. I mean, uh, imagine if the wind as and this is the situation as we're heading to winter. Uh, the wind, I'm a sailor. I kind of know where the wind blows because uh, on my sailboat, I'm always aware of this. The wind blows often in the winter down the Hudson River Valley from the north. Uh, imagine uh, Manhattan. I, I don't want to upset people tonight, but this is like uh, the reality. Uh, the electricity out, the, uh, the the borough of Manhattan with its millions of people stuck. I mean, elevators are not going to be working. The whole area enveloped by radioactive poisons. I mean, it's not, in fact, uh, that that Kratu report was done by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and Sandia National Laboratories. And like the the nuclear scientists at Brookhaven Laboratories, some of whom like to call themselves nukies, sort of like cult, these, these, right, right. these nuclear characters. So, And they think Sandia, uh, NRC, nuclear is the best thing to come along since sliced bread. So the estimates at, of crack 2 are really underestimates. Uh, if we have, and we will have, unless nuclear is stopped as it must be, accidents worse, if it actually worse than Chernobyl. And uh, speaking of, of, of liars in authority, uh, as an international mirror agency of our Atomic Energy Commission, the International Atomic Energy Agency was created. This is back in the 50s. Our AEC was abandoned, abolished in 1974 because it was in conflict of interest. Congress, which was then as now as before, in the pocket of the nuclear industry, but they still abolished the AEC. The IAEA remains promoting and somehow regulating at the same time nuclear technology. It claims that maybe, go to its website, maybe 4,000 people will die after all as a result of Chernobyl. A book was published in 2009, very important. You could obtain it for free now on the Internet, uh, done by a team of, of, of eminent European scientists. I have it in front of me. Chernobyl Consequences of the Catastrophe for People and the Environment, put out by the New York Academy of Sciences, not by Greenpeace. And the scientists using now available medical data from 1986, the year of the accident, and 2004, conclude, based on fallout, I mean, a lot of it is Belarus and Ukraine and Russia, where the fallout went and where the deaths were the highest, but fallout all over the world. I mean, they they cross, they correlate the fallout with, uh, with 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 deaths, and they conclude that 985,000 people died as a result of Chernobyl 
fallout during those years, and and people are still dying because of Chernobyl. Right. As to Fukushima, because you didn't have one huge explosion and a fire for a bunch of days, but I mean, we now have months and months of releases from the Fukushima nuclear power plants and the spent fuel pools and at, at in- Fukushima. I just was speaking to Dr. Helen Caldicott, President Emeritus of Physicians for Social Responsibility, and she is projecting that the the likelihood of, in terms of, 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 of consequences of the Fukushima accident, will be two to five times the death toll of Chernobyl. So we're, we're talking two to five million people dead as a result of, of, of the Chernobyl disaster. Of the, of the Fukushima about, disaster. Uh, of the nuclear fu- holocaust. Right. So, so we're talking about a million people um, lost from the Chernobyl disaster, and you're talking about two to five million people? Yeah, Is that what, what you said? As a result of the, of the Fukushima. And, of course, this radiation, um, you know, exposure can, uh, you know, is, go- is going to result in deaths that are going to happen, you know, years from now. Um, and well, this is why it's, it's, it's so easy to, to just forget about it. Yeah, well, it's some, many will happen because with radiation, the so-called low levels have a, an incubation or a latency period of five to 40 years. Uh, that's why years ago there was this notion of a threshold dose. In other words, in 1947 and 1949 and so forth, uh, they thought that, well, if people were exposed to moderate amounts of radioactivity, uh, you know, they, and they didn't fall into the gutter dead, maybe there was a level below which it was okay. But then as the years rolled by, they realized that no, any amount of radioactivity can kill. And at that point, uh, they agencies all through the country and around the world uh, concluded that we have to have a no-threshold measurement. There is no threshold. Uh, With Fukushima, though, I I just did a magazine article, very, I I, I think, uh, an important issue here. Before cancer arises, and again, some of it comes very slowly, some of it takes decades because of the radioactivity, one of the first uh, indications of the effects of, uh, of radiation is infant mortality. These are like uh, children below the age of one dying, many just a few weeks old, so a lot of it is in utero. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the EPA, right after the accident began, because it's continuing on March 11th, began doing radiation readings uh, and reporting on them, like sometimes several times a day, but certainly every day or every couple of days. Uh, and um, uh, meanwhile, uh, scientists uh, Joe Mangano and Dr. Jeanette Sherman of the Radiation and Public Health Project, and you can go to their website, Radiation and Public Health Project, uh, to see their report, looked at various cities where the fallout from Fukushima, according to EPA measurements, were the highest, and correlated those fallout stats with infant mortality. And I'm just looking here at, at, at their work. There was, uh, in the 10 weeks after the March 11th accident began in Philadelphia, not far from us, 90 miles from the city, from New York City, a 48% increase in infant mortality in Philadelphia 
for some reason got a lot of the fallout. Seattle, Portland, Boise, San Francisco, Berkeley, and so forth, uh, their infant mortality jumped an average of 35%. Nationally, meanwhile, during this period, infant mortality rose 2.3%. So something was happening. And quite importantly, what did the EPA do? It stopped doing regular and uh, radiation readings in early May. So now if we wanted to correlate infant mortality, or and soon we'll be correlating cancer uh, with the fallout from Fukushima, we're not going to get the data. I mean, that's our U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, uh, which Republicans are jumping up and down saying it's, uh, uh, it's too tough, it's too, you know, and they want to uh, uh, kind Stop of Stop like, all this regulation. Yeah, and... and, and and this is our EPA. Uh, right. uh, but in any case, uh, in the last several months, the entire world has been exposed to radiation from Fukushima. They will be serious health consequences. And I mentioned infant mortality and cancer. The genetic damage is going to repeat and repeat and repeat into eternity. Uh, and, uh, you know... Uh, Folks behind nuclear power would have us believe that no one really uh, is being injured. No one will die as a result of the Fukushima catastrophe. But in terms of food, uh, the U.S. FDA, Food and Drug Administration, has banned the importation into the U.S. I don't know if people realize this, of fresh vegetables and fruit, milk, milk products from... uh, Oh, a bunch of prefectures, uh, uh, six of them, there's 47 in all in Japan, near Fukushima. It claims it's screening uh, other food coming into the U.S., including fish for radiation. A lot, a, a lot of scallops through the years comes from Japan and so forth. Uh, I mean, what they were doing with those spent fuel pools was utterly outrageous. They were with huge uh, fire trucks, you know, taking seawater and trying to uh, keep those spent fuel pools from undergoing even worse accidents, from, from erupting, uh, dousing vast amounts of water, which then got into the sea, that got into uh, sea life. There's also a, a concentration factor when you have a, a radioactivity or, or chemical toxins uh, in a marine environment. The big fish eat the small fish, and up the chain, and uh, the bigger fish, like migratory tuna, end up with... Uh, more concentrated radioactivity. As to the fallout in this country uh, from Fukushima uh, impacting on our agriculture, uh, if we had some uh, oh, some honest regulatory agencies uh, on the job, maybe we could truly know. Uh, and then just to jump to uh, the uh, those screening machines at the airports with, uh, I mean, this is in recent weeks, there's been these disclosures about Hey, there's, there's potentially a serious amount of radioactivity there. And you've got to mention radioactivity is cumulative and so forth and so on. That's par for the course. Uh, the, the, the nuclear establishment, again, it's more than just industry. It's, it's big government. It's big business. It's big media. All together, par for the course is uh, through the years they try to push uh, food irradiation uh, on, uh, on us. They've uh, pushed for... Um, nuclear-powered airplanes. I was down in Florida in recent days because between November 25th and December 15th, NASA 
plans to launch a rover supposed to go to Mars with 10.6 pounds of plutonium on it. If there's an accident, I mean, this is in the environmental impact statement, so important to go to documents of NASA for this uh, curiosity mission, they call it. If there's an accident and NASA gives the chances of an accident at 1 in 220, an accident releasing plutonium, I mean, if, if we had the odds were 1 in 220 of winning the New York lottery, we would all be at betting parlors tomorrow morning. The cleanup costs on this $2.5 billion mission, if the plutonium is released, $1.5 billion per square mile of mixed urban area affected. I mean, why do you need nuclear on this rover? These other Mars rovers through the years have had solar photovoltaic. Isn't solar the preferred uh, power source for Yeah, uh, for the, the locomotion, space. but you have this... Again, this nuclear, well, actually, some of these scientists call, call it, I've heard them talk about the nuclear priesthood, uh, and they push it with uh, uh, these these corporations involved. Uh, well, just let me note here, too, the Coke and Pepsi of nuclear power worldwide historically have been GE and Westinghouse. They started in the nuclear business way back in the Manhattan Project as contractors, and have been pushing nuclear ever since. 80% of nuclear plants worldwide historically are of GE and or Westinghouse design or manufacture. Guess what happened two years ago? Toshiba, Toshiba, a Japanese company, bought Westinghouse, and Hitachi partnered with GE in its nuclear division. So now the Coke and Pepsi of nuclear power are actually of Japanese origin, and that's one of the other reasons, besides this huge nuclear establishment within the Japanese government, you have uh, the corporate influence on Japan, uh, authorities in Japan, why uh, the lying is even more intense. You've been listening to Green Street, and our guest has been award-winning television host and producer, journalist and author, Carl Grossman. And that's going to do it for this edition of Green Street. Thanks for listening. Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at GrassrootsENVED.